Imagine for a moment that we'd somehow organised the greatest roast director in the history of the world. We'd managed to book the Lord God Almighty. So I guess you couldn't really call it roast director. You'd have to call it uh, grill God or something. We'll come up with something for it. So we get, we get to roast the rector, we get to grill God, and you get to ask one question of him. I want you to turn to the person who's next to you and, and share with them. What one question would you ask of God? If you don't have a neighbour, just ponder for yourself what question would you ask God? Alright, what have we got? Who's brave enough to share what their question would be? What would you ask the Lord God Almighty? Yep. How can I be certain I'm going to heaven? Mm. Why does God choose some people over others? Yeah. Why do you allow sin? They want to know about dinosaurs down the back. There's always one. Now, I take it that if we had that sort of an event occur, the questions that we ask wouldn't be the frivolous ones. That they wouldn't be... I mean, I've always wondered, did Adam have a belly button, right? I mean, that's, it really doesn't matter. The sorts of questions that we would ask are the ones that come out of perhaps our sadness or our loss, maybe even out of our anger puzzlement or despair. We would want to ask God the serious questions, the big questions of life. Who are you and who are we, God? And how do we relate? Now, in this passage in Luke 10 that I hope you'll keep open, we get to hear one man's question. He gets to do exactly that. He gets one question of God. As he approaches Jesus and he says to him, Teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know if that's quite asked in the way that you and I would ask it. I think more often than not, we're concerned about the things of this world rather than of the world to come. And when we speak about the world to come, we might talk about heaven, perhaps, rather than eternal life. But it's a very good question. There are times when we are confronted with the fact that this life will end. And we asked the question, what will come of the next life? Uh, we were at the funeral on Thursday for Tanya's uncle and it was a reminder to us that death comes and we must be ready to face it. It is a good question. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Now, in many ways, it's a lot like a question we would ask. God, what do I have to do? Just, just tell me the things that I have to do and I'll go and do them. What religious works do I need to do? Do I have to fast or, or give away stuff? Do I have to do some sort of religious work? Come to church each week? Take communion? What, what do I have to do, God? Now, it's also a very strange question. Did you notice who asked it? Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up and ask Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's not an expert in the law in the sense of being a barrister, right? He's not a, an expert in the law of the land. He's an expert in the law of God. He's a theologian, 
He's the guy who knows the scriptures, who knows the answers. Why is he asking this question of Jesus? It's a little bit as if Joe got up the front one week and, and in all seriousness he stood up here and, and he looked at us and he said, how can I be saved? Now if Joe did that, I reckon most of us would be thinking it's a trap. <laughs> most of us are thinking he's about to do something tricky because of course he already knows the answer, right? He's testing us. It could kind of be the sort of question that someone who joins the church might ask to test our orthodoxy. What, what do we believe? And I take it that this man, in fact, who we are told is testing Jesus, is doing exactly that. Jesus, are you an orthodox teacher? What are you going to say to me in response to this important question? Now, you and I, we need to pay attention. Because if Jesus has anything to say on this topic, if Jesus has an answer to the question, how do I inherit eternal life, then surely we want in. We want to hear, and we want it too. And so Jesus replies in, uh, in the way that uh, Joe very helpfully pointed out for us, the way that teachers have throughout the ages. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what do you think? Hey, what's written in the law? How do you read it? If your Bible study group leader or anyone you know ever says that, you know where they got it from. They're copying Jesus. What do you think? And the teacher, he has a pretty good answer. I mean, fair enough, right? Remember, he's a lawyer. He's an expert in the law. He already knows. And he kind of gives the Sunday school answer. You know the Sunday school answer? Any question that's ever asked in Sunday school, the answer is God, Jesus, the Bible. Right? I mean, that's... That's kind of what this guy says. What does the law say? Well, he answered, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and with all your mind. Right, That great word of Israel's that we read in the Deuteronomy reading. But he also adds on, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a fantastic summary of the Old Testament. In fact, it's such a good summary that that's exactly the summary Jesus gives. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This man gets it right. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, whenever someone approaches Jesus, Jesus knows what's in their hearts. He knows who they are. Are they a true seeker who's perhaps just a little bit slow and has some questions and needs some help? Well, Jesus deals graciously with them. But sometimes there are people who come and just want to be difficult. They just want to be obtuse. They just want to test Jesus like this man. And so Jesus' reply, I take it, is a rebuke to him. Verse 28, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. What are you asking me for, Jesus says? You already know the answer, so get on with it. Stop wasting your time and mine. Do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I take it that Jesus' words are a bit of a slap in the face. There's, there's some sort of sting in the words where this teacher, this lawyer, well, notice what he needs to do. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. Jesus said, you know the answer, go and do it. And he said, well, well let's, let's just talk a little bit more. Let's just kind of maybe work out what this whole loving my neighbor thing is about. I mean, do, do you really mean that I've got to love everyone? 
Or, or can, can we put some constraints on it? Who is my neighbour? Who am I supposed to love? Now, Leviticus 19 is where that love your neighbour language is found. And you could argue that in Leviticus 19, it's the Jew who is your neighbour. It's the one who is like you. And so this, this lawyer wants to kind of, well, he wants to do what we like doing. Justify himself. To put it another way, he wants to place the bar for being good right where he already is. I'm good enough already. I don't need to change. I don't need to get better. I'm good enough. I've got to say, that's the Aussie way. That is exa- Have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, I'm good enough, I'm okay? I had one friend who would say that of his dad. He'd say, oh, I can't get into this religion thing because religion says that my dad was evil, but I know that my dad was a good bloke. He was good enough for whatever's going to come next. That is the Aussie way. And in fact, that is the way that this man responded. He wanted to justify himself. Wanted to justify his own behaviour. And so Jesus tells him this story. Uh, This, I think, the second most famous of his parables. We'll get to the most famous in two weeks' time. Second most famous parable. Here's the story. In reply, Jesus said this. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. You got the picture? I mean, it sets the scene very quickly. Bloke, side of the road, barely breathing, pool of blood, everything taken. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. Now, and at this point in the story, if you're one of the, the hearers, okay, who's coming next? I mean, it comes in threes, right? We're used to hearing that and we're used to the punchline being the third. A Samaritan, Ooh. as he travelled, he came where the, where the man was and when he saw, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, the first aid kit of then. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, we know the story. It's very familiar to us. I want to point out a couple of things. Uh, Do you know who the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were kind of the the, the estranged cousins, if you like. As part of the history of Israel, at one point they'd been split and Samaria up to the north. Uh, They weren't really our people anymore. I mean, we're not just talking estranged cousins. We're talking, we don't talk to them. We don't think about them. We just, they're gone. They're heretics as far as we're concerned. They only accepted part of the Old Testament. They worshipped God on a different mountain. These, these were the total outcasts. Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with each other, we're told in other places. And it is the Samaritan who shows mercy. What is going on here? Who is my neighbour? The man asked. And I take it that Jesus' story is meant to say to this man, the priest was so concerned with who he is and what he does that he didn't stop. 
Now, maybe he had right reason. Perhaps he was on religious duties or something. Right, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. He couldn't fulfill his duties. Maybe he had perfectly valid reasons, but they were reasons that stopped him from showing mercy. Now, what about the Levite? Now, they're the, the priestly tribe. Maybe he saw the priest in the, in the distance and he thought to himself, well, if he didn't stop, maybe I, well, I, I won't either. I mean, I'm just following his lead, right? The minister didn't stop. I'm going to follow his example. And on we go. And the Samaritan stops. I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent. I'll tell you what it is in a moment, actually. We'll, we'll come to that when I, when I retell the story. We'll come to that. And so Jesus says, who was the neighbour to this man, the one who showed mercy? Go and do likewise. So let's go back to that first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. Who is my neighbour? And Jesus says, even a Samaritan can work it out. What are you asking me that question for? Who is your neighbour? The man who is in front of you who is in need. It's not hard, is it? Go and do likewise. Edwina and I uh, went for a walk on Friday. It was our day off and, and kind of been in house all day and the kids were going nuts. So we thought, all right, let's go for a walk. And, uh, and from our place down behind the RSL, walking down towards the library. And uh, uh, little Sophia, two and ten months, whatever she is, she's old enough now that she likes to walk. So off we go and she wants to walk and Ellie's in the pram. And uh, it's a very beautiful thing. I mean, Sophia loves walking. She kind of balances on the curb and it's all good fun. And then there's this one driveway that for some reason is Noah's Ark. So we all have to stop and climb into the Ark and sit there for a while while the floods rise. And uh, thankfully no one drives out of the driveway. And we keep going. She's little enough that she can maybe do about two blocks. And then we're kind of, all right, that's, let's get back in the pram now. And, uh, and, and we, we're kind of going an unusual way, actually, uh, in God's hand. And we stopped in an unusual place to let Sophia get into the pram. And of course, that, you know, oh, I need a cuddle before I get in the pram, and I want a bicky and whatever, and we're doing all this kind of stuff and getting her in. And as we're getting into the pram, we, th- we heard what sounded like a disturbance, uh, some sort of argument, maybe, it raised voices in one of the houses. And, you know, when you. You kind of think you hear something, maybe you don't. You, you don't really want to listen too hard because you might hear something funny or you might get involved. Or and so we're, we're kind of, you know, just doing our own thing. And but we thought we heard the word help in the middle of of. And we're like, oh, did we really? It was it was kind of muffled. Let's let, we're going to keep going. And then very clearly we heard just the one word, help. What do you do? So I'm thinking, oh, I suppose I should go on. I mean, the last thing you want, right, is to keep walking and the next day you're reading the papers, something, oh, all right, let's, let's go and see what happens. So we walk over to the, to the apartment, the house, and uh, the wooden door was open, the screen door was ajar, and, and I'm kind of doing the really tentative, you know, what, what, what am I about to stick my head into here, kind of knock on the door and, hello, anyone there? Thought I, thought I heard someone say help, can I? And, uh, and I hear a voice say, yes, I need help. So I open the door and go in and, and there's a man on the ground, laid down flat, needed help to get up. Now as it turns out, he'd, he'd had a fall, he wasn't able to get himself up, so we were able to help him and call the ambulance, he was all okay, we, we dropped in a couple of hours later, he, he opened the door, he was fine. Is that it? Is, is that this story? I was a good Samaritan on Friday, I helped a person in distress, I'm in. I'm going to inherit eternal life. 
Is, is that... Is that how it works? Is, is that what we're supposed to take away from this story? To inherit eternal life, you've got to love God. I mean, we haven't kind of touched on that bit. But let's say that you're, you're religious enough to get that bit sorted. Is it just about loving the people that we come across like, and, and then and we're okay? I'll tell you my problem. Is that on Friday, I stopped and I listened and I helped. But I can tell you of plenty other times when I didn't, when someone cried out for help and I kept walking. Not even just strangers, but people that I know and love and, and, and I can't love my neighbour as myself. I fail. And let alone we then come to talk about loving God with all that I am and all that I have and, and I fail at that too. Is that the word that we're going to take away from today? Well, I want to show you a couple of strange things in this story. I want to show you a couple of strange things. Now, we're going to have to think. Okay? You're going to have to work hard at these. Keep your Bible open. Make sure you're reading it, that I'm not making things up. Let me show you a couple of strange things. Firstly, Jesus and the Pharisee, this teacher of the law, they ask the question in reverse of each other. That sounds very confusing. Let me show you. Uh, where are we? Chapter 10 and verse 29. The man asked, who is my neighbour? Do you remember the command, love your neighbour? The man asks, who is my neighbour? Now look down at verse 36. Jesus answers with this question, who do you think was a neighbour to him? Do you get that the question is the other way around? He's asking, who is my neighbour? Jesus says, who was a neighbour to him? So the answer, who is my neighbour, is in fact the Samaritan. But, but hang on, that's, that's weird. Because isn't his neighbour the, the broken man that he's got to look after? The second strange thing is that this parable is back to front. I don't know if you noticed, the parable is back to front. If the point of the parable is that we have to love everyone, no matter who they are, you've got to love the person who is in front of you, then I can imagine it going a little bit like this, and, uh, and, and I appreciate some creative license. Let me retell you what I think the parable might have been like. There was a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he spotted in the distance a flash of colour. As he approached, he saw a priest. Or perhaps, to put it into sort of modern language, there was Joe, the minister. This upright religious person, he'd been beaten and bashed and all his stuff stolen. And the man stopped. And he bound his wounds, he pulled out the first aid kit, he bandaged what he could, he stopped the bleeding as best he was able to. He put Joe on his donkey, or his motorbike, whatever the, the modern equivalent is, and he headed off for a hospital he could see in the distance. Now on the way, as he was travelling, he saw another flash of colour. And there was a Levite. Now, I don't know what the modern equivalent of a Levite is. James. Let's pick on James. Right? Pew sitter, church attender, nice guy. But he'd also been beaten and bruised and bashed and all his stuff stolen. And the man stopped for him too and he bound up his wounds and he stopped the bleeding and he somehow got two up on the donkey. I don't know, it was kind of the awkward hug or something. I don't know, he got two on there. And he took both of them towards this hospital. 
And now we're waiting for the punchline, right? I mean, it's been the religious guy. It's been the average Joe. Who next? Who is my neighbour? Who am I supposed to show love to? Where does the line end? Will it be a Jew? Will it be a Gentile? Who will it be? The man keeps travelling. He sees a flash of colour. And there on the ground was a Samaritan. I don't know what the modern equivalent is. A terrorist. I, I, I don't know. Someone who evokes that sort of, ooh. Bruised and battered. The robbers had clearly just taken out the lot. And the man stopped and bound his wounds. He pulled out the first aid kit. It was depleted, but there was enough there. He got three of them on the donkey somehow, I don't know, stacked on top of each other. Or, and he took them to the hospital and he put them there and they got cared for and he paid for them. And he said, I'll come back to cover any bills. They don't have medical insurance. I'll pay for him. Who was the man's neighbour? Who are we supposed to love? Well, everyone, even the unlovely. To get the parable that way makes sense. But this parable is back to front. It's three men who walk past a battered man. Do you get what I'm saying? It's strange. It's odd. Let me put it to you a different way. Who are we supposed to identify with in this parable? What character are we supposed to look at and go, that's me? Now, if you remember last week, we did the parable of the sower and Jesus explained for us, thankfully, the the four soils and the seed and, and we could look at that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm this one, I'm that one. What are we supposed to do with this parable? Who should we identify with? Now, I want to suggest to you that there are two groups of people who will identify with different people in this parable. The first one are people like this lawyer. Those who want to justify themselves. Those who think that by what I can do, I can earn eternal life. I can keep the law. I mean, you tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And for those people, you might well identify perhaps with the priest. Sometimes you're just too busy doing your religious duties to stop and care for someone in need. Are we supposed to identify with the Levite? Well, I think the priest and the Levite are kind of joined together. Are we supposed to identify with the Samaritan? And I think that that's usually where we end up. We say, well, we should all therefore go and be good Samaritans, right? I think that actually the man that we should identify with is the broken man. The one who is battered and bruised. The one who has had everything stripped away such that he is nearly dead. The one who needs life. Eternal life, as it were. When it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to that which gives eternal life, we are like that man. Dead. Unable to rescue ourselves. And so who then is the Samaritan in the picture? Who is this Samaritan? This outcast, this despised one who pours out of himself for the good of one who is nearly dead. Does that sound familiar? Well, Surely the good Samaritan is Jesus. Surely he is the one who cares for our wounds, binds us, restores us to life, gives eternal life. The one who did love God 
with all his heart and soul and mind. The one who did love his neighbour as himself at any cost. What does Jesus say in this parable? Jesus says, be loved. Be loved by the one who would spend everything for us. Now, what does it mean to be loved? I want to share one verse with you. It's from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It's uh, it's the fifth chapter, Romans 5 and verse 8. And it says this, God shows his love for us in this. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what it means to be loved by the Good Samaritan? It means that while you and I were still his enemies, still not loving God and not loving our neighbour and suffering the consequences because of that, Jesus died for us. Two silver coins in the story. The life of the Samaritan in Jesus. And he's promised to come back. He's promised to come back and restore and, and make good on what he owes, to take us with him to the place where he is. Jesus says, be loved. So where do we land? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just give me the short answer, will you, please? Well, this passage has a rebuke and a promise. It has a rebuke. Friends, if you think that you can justify yourself, if you think like this expert in the law, that you can do religious things, that you can come to church, that you can be a nice person, then please note where Jesus sets the bar. The good Samaritan who loves the one who is in front of him. Have you ever walked past someone in need? Just once. Then you know you can't do it. Hear the rebuke to those who would be saved by the law. But there is a promise, this fantastic news that the love of Jesus is on offer, that the good Samaritan loves you, that he will pay the price to bind your wounds, to bring healing to you. I'm not talking about a broken arm or arthritis. I'm talking about the deep-seated wounds that are caused by our rejection of God. He will die, he did die, that you may have eternal life. So as you walk out from today, if you're one of the first and you think that you can be justified yourself, please don't. Be honest. Come and talk to me. Let's work it through. Throw yourself on the mercy of the Good Samaritan. Know that you are loved. Take comfort in that, that he paid for us, that we may have life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fantastic story. This parable that at once rebukes and comforts, at once challenges and offers hope. Father, for each one of us, may we know that we are incapable 
of loving the way that the Lord demands. And so, Father, may we throw ourselves upon the merciful one, the one who truly showed mercy. Having loved you, having loved his neighbour, he died. He loved to the end. Father, may we know that we are loved by Jesus. Our wounds, our iniquities, our wrongdoings can be bound and healed. Our relationship with you can be restored. Our eternal life given as a sure inheritance. Father, give us trust in Jesus. Amen.